And this morning we'll read verses 1 through 15. And as you're turning there, you know, there are several reasons why I felt led to go through the book of Isaiah. And, and some of them we've hit on, and, and there's a lot more. It's, it's a long book, and we're going to split it up. But, and I read through it a couple of times as I was contemplating uh, going through Isaiah. And, and there's a few things that didn't jump out at me at the beginning. And I'm glad that the Lord didn't kind of reveal some of those things to me, uh, because now when I see them, had I known them earlier, I'd have pulled a Jonah and, and run from it. Uh, because every now and then I get to a passage and I think, what have we got ourselves into here? Uh, and there's so much in this passage uh, that jumps out. And it hits really close to home. And... When I start with these, I start with myself, and this, this is convicting, and it was to me. You know, all of Scripture is breathed out by God for reproof and correction and encouragement. Uh, this message, um, the, well, one commentator, let me just read what he said. This, this message... Uh, of the whole uh, section is solemn in the extreme that, that we're reading today. There's one positive verse in it. It'll probably jump out at you as we read through. One positive, but it's pretty solemn. And, and we have that one verse because we need it. We can trust it. Uh, but as I mentioned, there's a lot in this passage. And so let me read it, and then we'll take a look at it. Isaiah chapter 3. Uh, beginning at verse 1. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor of the or the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms and i will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them and the people will oppress one another every one his fellow and every one his neighbor the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable for a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. In that day he will speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. 
Oh, my people, your guides mislead you. They have swallowed up the course of your path. The Lord has taken his place to condemn. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the faces or the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, we ask that you will enter our hearts and speak your truth in us, that we may be strengthened by your truth, encouraged by your truth, that we will learn from it, and that we will glorify you the whole time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is uh, Aristotle who is credited with saying, he who has never learned to obey cannot be a good commander. And many people have repeated that same sentiment down through history. If, if you've not learned to obey, you really can't be a good commander. And when we look at what has happened in Judah and Jerusalem with the leaders and the people, they're not obedient. And we see what happens. Uh, if I, the first seven verses, I'll just give you a brief outline of, of these first seven verses before we take a look at it. If you look at verses uh, one through three, the Lord removes stable leadership. And in verse four, he introduces childish leaders. As a result of that, in verse 5, there's fragmentation that sets in, socially and morally. And then in verses 6 and 7, the whole idea of leadership falls into disrepute. It's kind of a joke. The Lord takes away leaders. We see that in verses 1 and 2. And, and he makes leaders. Notice that in verse 4. The Lord makes leaders. Leaders And for Judah, they're getting exactly what they deserve. They haven't been obedient. Their leaders haven't been obedient. And he's just really taken the good leaders away. And Isaiah is talking about that. For behold, he says in verse 1, and, and that's a phrase that actually takes us back to chapter 2. He's, it, it's, he's building on what he has just said. Of course, when Isaiah wrote this, he didn't put in chapter numbers or, or verse numbers, So, uh, but it, it does remind us of what he had just said in, in chapter 2, that last verse, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, of, of what account is he? And, and that was his way of saying, you're trusting in man way too much. And, and behold, the Lord God of hosts, is taking away everything. The, the Lord God of hosts, and there's that phrase again, not just the Lord, not just the God, not just the, the leader of hosts. He puts it all together. The sovereign God, the mighty, almighty, powerful God, and also in there is, is the name of the covenant God. He is your God. 
You are his people, but this Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and Judah support and supply. Now, you might have translations that read a little bit differently, uh, that support and supply. In the Hebrew, that's actually the same word listed twice, but it has a different suffix at the end of it. The first time, it's, it's the word with the masculine suffix, the second time with the feminine suffix, and, and what they call this is an idiom of totality. He's taking it all away. Everything. All support of bread and all support of water. The, the, the basics, if you will. He's withholding the blessings of creation. Taking that away. He's uh, in verse 2. The mighty man and, and the soldier. The judge and the prophet. The diviner and the elder. Uh, he, he begins with all of these things. He's taking away the military leadership, if you will. With the mighty man, the soldier. He's, he's taking away the national leaders godly national leaders and and for the, in Judah that would be the the judges and the prophets they were the national leaders he's taken away the local leaders even that'd be the elder and and the leader the captain of 50 he's mixing the legitimate and the illegitimate if you will he's taking away the counselor and even the enchanters the the magicians the the illegitimate it, it's a total collapse, if you will, of the command of the structure of society. And, and all of these people who had become so self-sufficient, uh, now they're seeing the Lord's going to take it all away. Even the illegitimate, as well as the legitimate. And, and in verse 4, I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And what he is getting at is, is inexperienced leaders, unqualified leaders will be the ones leading. Now, Israel and did have some quite young leaders uh, at one point. One started at the age of 12. Uh, but he's going to just give them these unqualified leaders. And th that word infant, that, that's a little difficult to translate. Uh, in my, it says infant uh, in my, the ESV. Others might have a different translation there. It could also mean something like ruthless. Um, they might be unqualified and, and very ruthless. Uh, but either way, it, it's, it's all the same. And it's not just the leaders who are going to oppress the people. Look what else happens when we get to verse 5. They start oppressing one another. Neighbor against neighbor, fellow against fellow. The guy across the street, the one just like you, you start oppressing him. You start doing things. I don't care how that affects that person. I don't care how that affects his paycheck. Or what happens to him, this is about me and what I want. And they start oppressing each other. The youth, insolent to the elder, 
And if I can pick on the youth for just a little bit, and it comes back to the elders, actually, when you talk with teachers or youth workers or police, it comes up quite often. The youth don't respect authority anymore. Insolent to the elder, if you will. Well, guess where the youth learn that attitude? What do you do when there's someone in a position of authority, of authority and you don't like what they're doing or what they're saying? Do you belittle them? Do you disobey them? That's where the youth are learning how to treat authority. Those who should be held in honor are not, as Isaiah writes. And when we look at Judah here, the idea of what even makes a good leader is wrong. They're not looking for godliness. They say, hey, you have a cloak, you, you be our leader. They're not saying, you're, you're a godly man, you be our leader. But no, you have wealth. You have money. You be our leader. It's not about godliness. It's about who has something. Isaiah, as, as he writes in verses 6 and 7, describing this attitude, really, where leadership isn't even taken seriously. No real thoughts put into it. Hasty action, hasty reaction. Describing this, this breakdown, if you will, in, in national character, where leadership seen as a joke and uh, what they don't or what they want from their leaders is misguided to begin with. You know, I've heard it said, and that this was long ago, I was a child. But I heard it said that if we just took the time, all the time that we spent complaining about leaders and making jokes about leader, and actually took that time and prayed for those leaders, we might get something done. It's the only way we'll get something done. My friend uh, that I've mentioned Dwayne Matz, on his blog, he writes this, Children will see in us our attitude toward authority. Attitude toward authority starts with attitude towards God's authority. Because remember, it is God who put that authority in charge. And for Judah, the godly leaders have been taking, taken away because they've all been disobedient. And Jerusalem has stumbled. Judah has fallen, as we see in verse 8, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord and what he's done and who he's put in charge, defying the Lord's glorious presence. And Isaiah, he knows something about the, the, the seriousness of the sins of speech. I've mentioned a couple of times 
when he receives his call to be prophet in, in chapter 6, and he catches just a little glimpse of the glory of God. And in that, Isaiah says this in chapter 6, verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Sometimes we have this idea in our head that, you know, our actions, they, they're really what define me, but I can say kind of anything I want, right? Isaiah knows the seriousness of the sins of speech. James, in the New Testament, picks up on it. In James chapter 3, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. But Judah and Jerusalem have been pretty loose with what they're saying and what they're doing. They're stumbling and they're falling. And in verse 9, the look on their faces bears witness against them. They don't even try to hide their sin. They proclaim their sin. The sins of Sodom, they're willing to proclaim those even. Woe to them, they have brought evil on themselves. These prideful, arrogant people and no shame. They'll proclaim their sin. And we get to this point, and we get beat down, but then there's verse 10. And we say, okay, here's what we need. Verse 10. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruits of their deeds. And in this, there's this suggestion that there will be some righteous. That righteousness is possible, and that it will be okay. People committed to a life of righteousness, who watch what they say and what they do, who are, to use a, a phrase that often gets used, right with God. And you'll notice they're not promised immunity from all of the troubles but they are told it, it will be well. And Isaiah's strengthening the legs of, of the believer, of the righteous person who is stumbling himself. Stay right with God. It, it will be well. Even in the midst of this world where everything is falling apart, it will be okay. You know, the last couple of Wednesdays, both in the morning and, and in evening, we've had somewhat of the same focus, and, and it starts with uh, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And sometimes it's easier to believe in God than it is to believe the promises of God. I know he's there, but sometimes, wow, the promises can be hard. And Isaiah says, tell the righteous, or actually the Lord telling Isaiah to tell the righteous, it will be well. It will be well. Tell them that. The wicked, however, 
are going to get what they deserve in verse 11. Woe to the wicked, it shall, shall be ill with him. What his hands have, have dealt out shall be done to him. He's getting exactly what he deserves. In verse 12, my people, here's the covenant God again. My, my people, this is what Judah, they are his people. Infants are their oppressors and, and women rule over them. And of course, I could open up a huge can of worms here about this verse. But what's neat about it, and I like what some commentators have done, is they've noticed uh, this might be a reference to Ahaz, one of the kings that, that Isaiah prophesied under. Because Ahaz was a pretty childish guy to begin with. In fact, uh, he did some horrible things as king, even child sacrifice. And there's some evidence that he had this royal harem, that his wives were numerous and manipulative, and that he just kind of abdicated his power and kind of went on their whims, and whatever they wanted him to do, that's what he did, and they ended up doing some horrible things, and the guides were misleading all the people and, and swallowing up the course of a righteous path is spiraling downhill on Judah and Jerusalem. And, and then, as though Isaiah wants to stop and, and, and give them a visual, tell them, okay, here's, here's where we're going with this people. We need you to, to, to take notice. He, he gives a visual, if you will, of a courtroom, which would have looked quite different for Judah than it does for us, but, the, but there's this court setting in, in the last few verses. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. And this court scene is, it does have theological uh, significance, theological importance. The Lord is clearly concerned with everything that is going on, the oppression of the leaders on the people, the, the people not respecting leadership, the people oppressing each other. He's clearly concerned with all of that. He has seen it all, but he doesn't rush to judgment. He is just. Just in all his ways. And the court will listen. The case, the charges will be laid out. The case will be presented. And the Lord will judge. And he'll judge the peoples, and I, I like the ESV puts the S at the end of people, which people is just a plural word by definition, but, but they add the S, peoples, to, to highlight what is actually written in the Hebrew as well. Divine judgment has this universal setting, if you will, this universal aspect. His just account uh, will be settled against all without exception all peoples starting with the leaders and right on through everybody and the Lord it says in verse 15 will enter into judgment with the 
elders and, and the princes. And by the way, those are the, the legs of the executive arms, if you will, of, of the Judean government. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor? You know, Proverbs 22 uh, reads, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. The Lord will plead their cause. You who are oppressing the poor, you who are oppressing each other. The NET Bible uh, makes this note, this rhetorical question expresses the Lord's outrage at what the leaders have done to the poor. He finds it almost unbelievable that they would have the audacity to treat people in this manner. And we have seen in this passage a complete breakdown of society. People or leaders not caring for the poor. No one respecting leadership, the insolence there. In fact, leaders being chosen for completely the wrong reasons. They have money. They don't really have godliness. They're childish. They have neighbor, oppressing neighbor. It's a devastating breakdown of their overall character. And to whatever extent you see this around you, to whatever extent you see this in society or in your own heart, know this, the Lord is the source of all hope and he's the source of any hope we have. He controls things totally, and he is sovereign, and he will make it well for those who are his. In the midst of everything else breaking down, the Lord will make it well for those who are righteous. And as we look at this passage, three things jump out at me to remember. First of all, there is this reminder in here of the importance of praying for our leaders, for those in positions of authority. Heartfelt, honest prayers for those people. Only God can produce godly leaders. Why wouldn't we cry out to him for him to do that. Prayers for our leaders are needed. It's a reminder for me to check my own attitude concerning authority. Because like it or not, my attitude towards authority, even those that I don't really like or agree with, maybe especially those that I have some issues with. Like it or not, 
my attitude toward that person reveals a little bit about my attitude about the authority of God and how I respect that because he is the one who put those authority figures in charge. But also, it's this great reminder of verse 10. In the midst of everything, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Not immune to what's going on in the world, but if we remain committed to God, if we remain committed to God's righteousness, repenting of those sins that Isaiah and that God reveals in our lives, clinging to God, holding on to him, trusting in him that he is sovereign and knowing that he is merciful and also on this side of the New Testament, knowing that he has sent his son to die for our sins. The son who also said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But I will be with you, and I will come back to get you, and it will all be well. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, your words can be so convicting in the depths of our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for revealing your truth in such a way that we come crying back to you. Lord, we need you. We need your help. We do pray for our leaders. We ask that you will guide them in their decisions, that you will make them godly, Lord. Enter into their hearts, all of those who are in authority above us. Give them your wisdom. Give them your leading. Help us that we not oppress each other but that we lift each other up in your truth, in your righteousness, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.